are tuning in to the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast. My name is Bree, and you can find me at lovebreezybreeyoga.com. Check out the show notes for more information, including a link to my website. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. Hello, everybody. Welcome. It's so awesome to see all of your lovely faces. As you can see, I have a few furry faces behind me. I am surrounded by pups today. They are all pretty chill, pretty quiet. So hopefully they remain the same for this session. Lesson number three of your body, your yoga. So we're going to talk about functional yoga versus aesthetic yoga. Now, last week we discussed playing your edge, leaning into your edge, but not to the point of injury. We didn't really talk too much about tension and compression, but a quick thought is when we feel tension, like let's say our hamstring, we're going to come back from leaning into that tension, right? Because there's something about the muscles, the tissues, the joints, the ligaments that are yelling at us that we wish to prevent injury. And we tend to listen to that, especially if you can feel that tension. Now, compression is a little bit different. Compression doesn't always feel like a negative, right? It can be as something as simple as a forward fold, compressing the body together. So we're not going to lean too deep into those two definitions because I feel that we discussed so much in last week's session that we can safely move forward into discussing functional yoga versus aesthetic yoga. And I think this is really important because all of us here today are really looking for a lifelong practice. Some of you are beginners. Some of you are years into your practice. Some of you teach yoga to others. Some of you teach yoga to self. All of us are students because that is why we are here studying. And I know for myself, I go through phases where I feel really, I don't want to use the word in control, but aligned with my yoga practice. And then other times where I feel like I'm flubbing through the practice. And it's not for lack of knowledge necessarily, but more of lack of awareness at that time. So that's why your body, your yoga, yoga will always meet you on the mat. But furthermore, it always meets you wherever you are. And that can change. So does your yoga practice. And it's that understanding that actually makes this practice doable for many, many years to come because there should never feel like mastery is a part of the plan. However, there are times when we go through functional yoga, there are times where we are practicing aesthetic yoga, but what does that really mean and especially what does that really mean to you? Now, there are two main reasons to do a yoga practice, to become healthier or to master postures. Now, this of course is through the study of your body, your yoga. If your goal is the former, which is to master postures, you will be more successful if you adopt a functional approach to your practice, which means you focus on the intention of the postures rather than their appearance. If your intention is to look good, perhaps you are a dancer or a gymnast and looking good is essential to your profession, aesthetic approach may be required. If you wish to follow a functional approach, however, There are three keys to adopt in your yoga practice ethic. 
One, know the targeted area you're trying to affect. Two, determine what you're feeling in the targeted area while you are in the posture. And three, if you're not feeling the pose in the targeted area, change what you're doing and find a position that creates the intended sensations. Now, a targeted area could be any region of the body where we want to focus our attention. The hips, the spine, the legs, the shoulder, the arms. You get the point. Now, the concept can be broadened to include non-physical intentions as well, such as moving energy, paying attention closely to sensations, or refining your meditation. Now, by thinking of your yoga practice this way, you will naturally evolve a functional approach to yoga over a purely aesthetic or performance-related view. Now, why are we talking about this? Because as you all know, I study trauma. I study trauma-informed practices, and I teach trauma-informed practices such as yoga, but also includes dance art, and other types of disciplines that help others to heal. So why are we even thinking about aesthetic yoga at all? And one of the things that I know for me that makes this topic important for lesson number three is that many people praise the aesthetics of yoga. And when their aesthetics do not line up with the vision in their mind, then the functional yoga sort of gets thrown by the wayside. Now, of course, this all matters with where you are in your life, your own wisdoms, because I believe that the more connected we become to our bodies, not purely utilizing our bodies for function, so for sport or for purpose, such as walking, getting us from point A to point B, that sort of thing, of course, then we might actually begin to appreciate the body in its most basic form, having gratitude for it, even not hurting, not feeling pain or tension or stress, being healthy, helping us to perform, even if it's just the most simple tasks to the most complex ones. I remember when I was pretty much an daily avid runner, there wasn't technically a time that I wasn't really appreciative of my body. I remember running and just thinking, wow, I cannot believe all I had to do was lace up my shoes and hit the road. And I'm out here doing something so amazing, feeling the sun shining on me, the birds chirping, seeing little bunnies hop by. And of course, that sounds so fairy tale, but that's sometimes how it felt. Other times it was really hot or extremely cold or I was aching or I was exhausted or just wasn't feeling right. You know, pain in my side, my stomach, but still forcing my way through it, forcing through that type of tension. But it felt very functional. Never did I feel like I was at all leaning into the aesthetics. However, as also a former dancer, Aesthetics were everything and had nothing to do with function. You know, it was about how high that leg could go or how fast I could twirl or how I could balance or how graceful I could appear. It didn't matter 
anything else, how painful it truly was. And I was just talking to a colleague the other day about my feet, the pain that my feet are reminding me of the many years of dancing and then the plus many more years of running on top of that and how I'm truly now that I'm not necessarily dancing nor running daily, my feet are now starting to lean into the pain. <laughs> like, oh, okay, she's not doing those things anymore. So let's go ahead and let's just ache. And yoga, yoga toes is real. And learning how to really spread my toes, lift them up, drop them one by one, having padabanda, that root lock energy of the feet, is truly become and has been for the last few years actually my saving grace. Because I tell you, I do not have the prettiest feet on the planet. Um, actually practicing Ashtanga yoga where your feet are constantly called to line up for different postures. My feet just do not do that. Used to really stress me out. Um, I used to try to get into that aesthetic of yoga instead of the functionality of it. And I say all of that because it is as simple as what I've just described, to as complex as the perfect handstand, the beautiful dancer's pose, the gorgeous warrior three. You know, these postures that we see, I don't want to pick on social media, but where else would we see these types of postures than in print or, or media of some sort? And it has completely fogged up our subconscious, rather we realize it or not. I have to tell you, as a yoga teacher, there are plenty of times where I have students of all ages who remind me that they are not going to look good in a posture. Like, I just want to let you know, Brie, that I don't have the best forward fold because, you know, this and that, and they're talking to me about aesthetics. Rarely, rarely do I have a student approach the conversation from a functional yoga perspective. And that is why I thought, <clears throat> pardon, that this would be a really good conversation for us to have in today's lesson. I did almost think about skipping over it because as a yoga practitioner, yoga student, and teacher, I sometimes forget how important these conversations are because I feel like, oh, yeah, that's not a thing. And I really had to meditate on it and do some discernment and realize, you know what? This is really important. Rather, we realize it or not, going through this lesson, listening to this lesson might begin to fight that little voice in your subconscious that wants you to look a certain way as a yogi instead of feel a certain way. So now that I've said all that, let's dig deeper. Now, if we target a region of the body anywhere, actually, we can focus our attention to the hips, the spines, the legs, the shoulders, the arms, as I mentioned. And also, as we all know in yoga, we tend to broaden that to non-physical intentions moving the energy, feeling those sensations that are refined by meditation. When you think about your yoga practice this way, it will begin to resemble that feeling that we do in yoga, which is having a mantra, a motto, feeling that mind-body-spirit connection, 
closing through Shavasana, not only for physical effects, but for real deep meditative reasons as well. But often we begin to allow the posture, the focus on the aesthetics of that posture to creep into the cues that are given by the teacher. Now, the intention behind any posture should be to generate an effect in the body, not simply to perform the posture or look good doing so. So, of course, we all know that this is the main difference between functional approach to yoga and aesthetic approach. Now, when a teacher or the student starts to judge the pose by what it looks like rather than what it feels like, then the intention of optimizing health is naturally lost. How you look in a pose is irrelevant. What is important is what you feel in the pose. We don't use the body to get in to a pose. We use the pose to get in to the body. So if we made that a mantra or even an affirmation that how I look in the pose does not matter. How do I feel in the pose? The moment you see yourself, your reflection, either through a mirror or through your own mind eye, by looking at another practice, watching that video, that Zoom yoga, or even in class, you might begin to pay less attention to how you're currently feeling and begin to focus all of your attention on how you think you are looking. The ego starting to edge out the mind-body-spirit connection and focus solely on the mind. You can hear them in the background, can't you? So now that we've delved deeper into that, I know that this all makes sense to all of you. I know that you're starting to think, I've done that. Absolutely have I judged myself, focused on how I'm looking, focused on something more external, focused on how the other person was presenting. And very rarely am I totally connected to how I'm feeling throughout my practice. Now, that doesn't mean that you do not flow in between, pun intended, (laughs) doesn't mean that you do not flow in between how you feel and how you look, the aesthetics versus the functionality. But the important thing is, is as you flow out of the functionality, that you catch yourself and you flow back into it. Hence, the special word that I love to use, which is moving meditation. Yoga Practice, asana practice, the postures, the moving your body throughout the postures, the movement itself can be meditative. But is it meditative if we're not focused on how we feel? I don't know, right? I would suggest not, but I do think that that's something for you to think about. Is it meditative if you're not focusing on how you feel? I don't think there's any right or wrong answer to that. It's just a prompt. So let's begin to explore what it would feel like to only worry about how you feel while practicing yoga. So obviously, as a trauma-informed yoga teacher, this is what I focus on and specialize in. But being in tune with our feelings, even something as simple as how do I feel? How does my arm feel in this pose? How does my hip feel when I'm in triangle pose. How does my 
hamstring feel when I'm in downward facing dog, you know, even exploring these simple questions to self can be difficult because some people really truly do not know how they feel and therefore can sometimes begin to suggest how they should feel, which again might be leaning into aesthetics. How am I supposed to feel when I'm in down dog? I know for me, when a yoga teacher says, downward facing dog is supposed to be relaxing. And if I don't feel relaxed, I start to feel like I'm doing it wrong. Why don't I feel relaxed? Why isn't this relaxing to me? What is it about my downward facing dog? Is it something I'm doing wrong? Is it something that I'm not getting? Is there a default or defect with my body? Language is so important. And minimal language is even more important as a teacher. Focusing on cues is the best way to teach a class, not focusing on what the teacher resonates with in his or her practice. Think about it this way. If I feel so good, ugh, just, I feel amazing whenever I'm in a back bend. It feels so good to have my heart opened up toward the sky, releasing all that tension in my spine. I feel powerful. I feel energized. So that's what I describe when I'm teaching. As I instruct or coach or guide my students into progressions of a backbend, I continuously cheerlead them on, but not in a way that's for them, but in a way that's for the pose. Like, oh, you're going to see when you get into this part of the pose, it's just going to feel so amazing. It's going to be something like you've never felt. It's going to wake up your practice. You're going to be energized for hours. It's your espresso of yoga. Ah. <sighs> You're going to be so, so tuned in. And then for whatever reason, could be because you're not as flexible, you have fear, you have strain, tension, stress in that area of the body. You're not ready to open up that heart chakra, that throat chakra, because you don't feel safe and grounded, rooted, secure, and so on. And so, long behold, you begin to judge yourself. Now, I'm not saying that teaching in that way or even leaning into those types of affirmations aren't warranted or even important for a healthy practice. But when you hear it, it should be inspirational, It should make you feel excited, not judgmental or even depressed about your practice. Now, mind you, all of this happens on a deep, deep level. It's not always brought to the forefront of your consciousness because when you make that mind-body-spirit connection, so much is happening in your own body's infinite wisdom that the mind sometimes hasn't even caught up to yet. They say when the mind is tired, 
the body can keep going. If you've ever done anything that requires mental overcoming, (laughs) you know, having to really muster up the the courage in some respects to keep going. It's all in the mind, right? And once the mind is on board, the body starts to follow suit. Now, as a former runner, that's something that was consistently a part of the practice of running. It was always about mind over matter, so to speak. It was always about knowing that you were going to tire out mentally way before you tired it tired out physically. That was the name of the game. So when you started to get exhausted in the mind, you knew to begin to talk yourself up, to cheerlead your own self through. And long and behold, you would always find, as they call, the second wind. So it is really fascinating how the psychological effects, which we talked about in last week's lesson, really do play a huge part in, in our lives, but also on the mat. Another thing that's important is to realize that the postures are not static. Now, I do wholeheartedly appreciate disciplines that have set poses with very much informed alignment cues are very, I don't want to use the word dogmatic, but can be a little bit more focused on the aesthetics of the posture. Now, mind you, those postures aesthetics tend to lean themselves into something more spiritual in most cases. So it's not just about aesthetics, although it looks that way, that you must have your eye gazes somewhere, your nose pointed in this direction, your hands this certain type of way, your foot placement. Now, we all know that our anatomy is as different as our fingerprints are. So the idea is you're taking these various body parts that are all different from each other and you're trying to construct them into a mold but not because the body can technically perform the perfection of the molding, but that the mind will then be required to push past its limits to try to get there. Safely, of course. So again, it's it's an aesthetic, but it's a deeper meaning to the aesthetic. It's not just a matter of this is the perfect way to do it, And that's that. And if you're not doing it that way, you have not arrived. It's more of this is the way to do it to challenge the mind. Now, whether you agree with that type of teaching or not isn't technically the point. The point is understanding the meaning, the intention, and the concepts. Because our intentions truly do direct us with everything else that comes after it. Whatever your intention was when you said that beautiful compliment to another is what matters, not just the compliment. If the compliment is said, but the intention isn't there, then the idea is that the functionality, that energy would not present. It comes off as inauthentic, fake. 
truth being told, that's life. Exactly. The intention is everything. And with your practice, it is the same. So when you think about this, you also realize that your body needs your yoga. Focusing on aesthetics has led the yoga world into a focus on alignment cues instead of functional cues. And since everybody is different, every body is different, how can one set of aesthetic cues work for every body? Well, it cannot, right? So when you think about alignment cues versus functionality cues, what pops into your mind? Well, we've talked about this so far in the last 20 minutes or so in a few different ways to get your juices flowing. So I want you to journal about that or, or note that down as you're taking notes. Because when you think about an alignment cue, it might look something like align the tips of your fingers from your right hand all the way through to the edge of your left foot. Now that's obviously an esoteric alignment, but it is an alignment cue. You could say something like, fill the tips of your fingers. Ask yourself, do you feel as you lengthen your fingers? Do you feel any other lengthening happening throughout your body? Do you feel anything all the way to the left side of your foot? And the answer may very well be no, because what I'm providing to you is so vague, so, as I call yoga speak, but also open to interpretation. So there's beauty in that as well. Now, obviously, to a brand new student, that might be a little bit like, wait, what? <laughs> but for someone who isn't comfortable with their body, who has suffered from trauma, a, a functional cue like that might be just what they need. Or you could become much more direct, right? So it's about asking yourself, how do you feel in downward facing dogs? As you spread your fingers, press each pad of your finger into the earth, pressing the earth away from you, feeling your neck elongate, feeling your head hanging nice and low, feeling no stress, no strain, just letting it hang, maybe shaking it, yes, or from side to side, feeling your shoulders begin to create strength throughout your back. Feeling your abdominal muscles begin to engage your core and supporting your spine. Feeling your hips lift up toward the sky as your feet press the earth away. Feeling the lengthening and strength of your legs. Asking yourself, where do you feel this most? Do you feel it in your shoulders, your hips, your hamstrings? Do you feel any pain, any strain, any stress? Do you feel strong? Do you feel weak? Do you feel dizzy? Do you feel safe and secure and comfortable? Remembering that you are indeed in an inversion. Your heart is above your head. Downward dog being just the most accessible variation of going upside down into handstand.
What are the thoughts that are coming through your mind? As you take your deep inhalation and exhaling, pressing the earth away from you, finding your grounding and stability while floating up toward the sky. As you exhale, releasing your body, knees down to the earth, finding a child's pose. (sighs) How do you feel? Now that is functional yoga. So let's see what else we have going on here. One of the other things I just wanted to talk about was when you begin to allow yoga to meet you on the mat, you will begin to elevate your practice in such a way that when you practice in community, you practice with instruction, with a teacher, with a guide, you're not substituting their voice for your own, but you're illuminating, magnifying what you already know about self. It's like this beautiful dance between the teacher and the student that lives within you. As you ask yourself questions that you might already know the answer to, new questions will populate with answers that you have yet to discover. That, my friends, is what makes yoga, your practice of yoga, so amazing. Now, yoga, the philosophy of yoga can be applied to everything, not just asana, not just poses that we say in Sanskrit, that is very beautifully, spiritually, vibrational, but can apply to everyday life off of the mat. Taking that walk through nature, spending time with your children, your loved ones, your animals. Eating your food is one that I think is huge. If we could practice the mindfulness that intentionality and functional yoga is encouraging and practice that everywhere in life from driving to eating to walking to studying to working on something sure it's not going to be 24 by 7 but it will become more and more and more intentional and the more intentional you are the less likely regret guilt maybe even shame will allow itself to present, which means you are raising your vibration closer to love and moving it further away from fear. Because what is there to fear when intentionality, mindfulness practices are present? So that is it for today's lesson. If you have any questions, I am going to start looking into the chat feed. But for now, let's take a moment. Let's Find ourselves coming inward. Eyes may be soft, maybe focusing on dristy, finding your breath, letting the shoulders begin to come out of your ears. Remembering that today's lesson could be the most important lesson of your journey as a student, practitioner, of yoga on and off of the mat. 
Remembering that yoga is not just about the moving of the body, although that is such a beautiful part of the eight limbs of yoga. It is not a requirement to consider yourself a yoga student, a yogi. Yoga is a beautiful blend of your own awakening of the divine that lives within you, the image for which you are made of and a higher purpose, a higher level, knowing that you are not an accident, a mistake. You are here on purpose to be inspired and to inspire. Sometimes you just need to meditate to know which one is happening in your life. As I always think about it this way, I'm sure you've heard it many times before, praying is asking, meditation is listening. I think we should listen twice as much as we ask, For when we ask, it should be something that we have not already tried to do. Because it is already within you. Some people are offended by the word magic. And I think that that's a mistake because words are vibrational Words should not scare you. They should not cause you fear. They should make you inquire. They should be a prompt to journal, to dig deeper, to understand, and then to raise their vibrations. I like to think about words a lot because for some reason, words are synonymous with an asana practice. Sometimes it's synonymous in a way of trying to get rid of words, especially in meditation. But without words in asana, people feel so lost. They instantly disconnect from self. Without a cue or a visual, an audible cue, a visual cue, they just forget about their body. Yoga is not supposed to make you dependent. It's supposed to make you independent, maybe even interdependent. Why does it make us so dependent, so lost and dazed and confused when we should just listen to our bodies? Don't worry about the name of the pose, the word for the movement, just move. Create your own asana practice for your body. I used to teach yoga for children, and I do miss that. It's a whole different ball game. I almost felt like when I was teaching yoga to kids, I should just focus only on that. It's sort of like teaching trauma-informed yoga has completely changed how I teach yoga Or teaching yoga to gymnasts will definitely need to be separate from teaching yoga to cancer survivors. Um, 
especially those who are still in treatment. It's just different ways to going about different things, but the mindset is what I'm talking about. So when I was teaching yoga to children, I had them come up with their own yoga poses and name them. And just as children do, they came up with amazing ideas and they named them after animals, after planets, after superheroes, sometimes after their own superheroes in their lives, mom, dad. Sometimes they named them after bugs, germs, cars. I mean, kids are so innovative. And what's so amazing about that practice that I did with those children was I asked them to perform their pose. And they all picked things that made sense for their body. They were never thinking about, well, I'm going to create this pose because Ginny over there is four foot two and she can't touch her toes, so we're gonna we're gonna do this pose. No, it was like I'm four foot eight, I can touch my toes, and so I am going to make, you know, myself a rocket ship. And I don't care if anybody else can't do this rocket ship pose. I can. My body can, so that's what I'm calling it, and that's what I want to do. And there's something to be said about that when you are thinking about your own practice, when we are all considering our own practice. Maybe we don't have the imagination that children do. Maybe our mind is so filled with ideas and concepts and we can't get out of our own minds. But that's okay. Maybe we can take something that's already been done for us and just tweak it. How does downward dog feel better for my body? I'll tell you right now, I personally love to put a block in between my thighs, internally rotate them, bend my knees slightly, spread my hands, keep my eyes up toward the top of my mat, and go into my downward facing dog. Probably one of my most favorite. What is your asana pose that you can just modify for your body adjust let the yoga meet you on the mat okay so we have a question here one of the questions is how do you reconcile utilizing yoga for your body when you're practicing in a studio with cues that are very aesthetic great question because and i love this question Thank you for asking it because that is going to happen a lot. Now, I talk about this all of the time with my students. Sometimes when you're in community, it's about being in community, right? It's about getting out of the house or letting the day go or waking up with yoga or practicing yoga under the moonlight or the sunlight or by the ocean side. It's about something a little bit more external. So what I like to do is I like to decide what my practice means to me that day, right? So if I'm practicing, you know, um, 
some fun yoga event or I'm just practicing with friends or, you know, loved ones or, you know, more than ever, I'm practicing yoga with puppies all around me. Sometimes they break up my practice. You know, one will plop on my face. My little uh, puppy, Bella, she likes to lay on my belly whenever I'm doing happy baby. And she just sort of goes to sleep there. And then I've got to gently go into another posture. And then she, of course, moves. But I've just learned to literally go with the flow and tell myself what a blessing this moment is that I get to practice with my dogs surrounding me, jumping all over me. It's like goat yoga sometimes. The moment I'm doing a plank, there's a puppy on my back and I just laugh because I'm definitely not, you know, totally clear of the mind and and into my heavy pratyama practice. I'm I'm just practicing and enjoying myself. Um, And then there are times where it's really sacred and it's really intentional and it's more of a spiritual experience for me. Maybe I'm reading a passage from like, you know, the gospels or I'm studying some sort of literature or something from the Gita or a sutra or just, you know, the Tao, something from a religious or philosophical spiritual text, which I like to do personally. Um, And then it's very important to me that I have quiet and and space and peace to do that. Sometimes I am, like most recently, I hurt my knee really bad and I was clearly just practicing to open up my hips and try to resolve some of my knee issues. And that's all I was doing. I wasn't really necessarily concerned about a sequence, but more just concerned about warming up the body and then getting it into openers and then just cooling it down, right? So giving yourself the opportunity to not make it a big thing every time you practice, I think will allow you to see yoga in a different light. Um, As a teacher, I can tell you sometimes I practice yoga, like let's say I'm practicing with like a YouTube um, influencer or something like that. I might just be practicing to learn a way of transitioning a posture to another that I personally haven't considered before. When I first started teaching, and I still do this from time to time, but not so much um, in the last year. But when I first started teaching, I used to, no joke, just put on my favorite YouTubers and like literally pop popcorn or be eating dinner or whatever. And I would watch them teach yoga as if I was watching a movie. And it was so relaxing (laughs) because I could just focus on how the person cued, especially in video. Um, I don't particularly like to practice with video because I don't like being in a pose and then I can't really hear them. And then I have to look up and it kind of tweaks like that movement, tweaks the alignment from my shoulder or whatever. Um, So I just personally have never been into watching yoga, but I do love audio yoga classes, which I teach. Doesn't mean I don't enjoy watching yoga classes, um, especially the ones that kind of have more of a live yoga feel to them, especially nowadays with Zoom. Those feel like you're in the classroom versus, I guess, a really tailored yoga video. Um, where they have like, you know, the old aerobics 
<laughs> type of platform where like the one in the back is the advanced yoga practitioner and the one next to them is the beginner and then the teacher's like kind of flowing in between both and whichever level you're at, you pay attention to that that yoga practitioner in the video. Um, I like those types of really curated videos just to watch because the cueing usually really is intentional. Um, it's really scripted. It's, you know, that sort of thing. They do some really neat things with props that I might not think about and some stuff that might not really be realistic either. I've definitely watched videos where it looks so aesthetically pleasing and then I could probably do it. I could get my body to go from down dog to wild thing to crow to, you know, headstand and then to jump into a plank and then lift up and and move into, you know, some other <laughs> move, you know, but sometimes that stuff is just better to watch. And then I sort of ask myself, wow, how can I incorporate something like this to my class? And then, of course, every now and then when I'm teaching, I might have a really cool transition or a really cool placement of a block. And then I get to the live class and my students are just not going to be capable of that for whatever reason it's the mood of the class or the bodies that I've observed in the first part of the class you know it's it's that wanting to not perform the class or or teach to aesthetics and teach to functionality and I have to be honest when you teach to functionality you get lifelong practitioners you get really dedicated students but when you teach to aesthetics you get packed classes and um it's really a whole nother topic, but it's really interesting. So teachers tend to teach to aesthetics. Rather they do this consciously or not, they know that their students want to see these inspirational postures put into the class. Not so much that it's so hard that they feel like failures, but it's just hard enough for them to feel like they did, like, you know, almost like they did gymnastics in a yoga class that day. And that's something that we're still trying to reconcile, I think, in Westernized studio practices. And I think it's coming full circle with the pandemic and classes being on Zoom and online because you do have to be more mindful of not being able to really feel the energy of your students, see those grimaces on their face, um, feel if they are excited or, or even see that they're ready to progress. You don't get that advantage as much. So you are sort of sequencing and, and there's going to be more aesthetics than functionality. But that is why learning how to apply functionality to your own practice is so important because when you are practicing and you're getting these aesthetic cues, you can take it upon yourself to adapt that to your body. And I always say from a teacher's perspective, it is really an honor to see students in my class taking my cue and adapting it to their body. You know, still going along with my goal, if my goal is hip openers or core strengtheners or whatever the goal is that I've sort of laid front. But adjusting that so that yoga meets them on the mat. Now, mind you, I encourage my students to allow yoga to meet them on the mat, even if I am being especially aesthetic in that class. Like I'm really focusing on the alignment of the warrior postures or 
I'm really focused on the alignment or anatomical challenges that the body might have in a posture. So I really want to put a lot of props into it, but your body doesn't need that. I try to talk about that along the way to my students so that they feel like every decision they make is their decision. Now here's the challenge. Just because you give your students and your students understand their autonomy in practicing yoga doesn't mean that they always know what to do or doesn't mean you'll always know what to do or you trust yourself. And that's where aesthetics sort of wins over functionality because at least with aesthetics, I taught the postures. I taught them the way you, the student, was expecting, even if it didn't fit your body. But I also think that that's not as fulfilling and doesn't necessarily create the effects that we're talking about, especially in these lessons. So long-winded answer, but such a great question, almost One of those questions where I was like, I should have thought about putting that just into the lesson. So thank you for that. All right, we have one more question. The question is, how would I go about creating a functional practice for advanced postures like handstand or balancing postures? Okay, that's great. I would go about it by asking myself why I am doing the posture right? So if your answer is aesthetic, then you can maybe start digging deeper into it from there. So if you're like, I just always wanted to do a handstand, that's my goal. Then ask yourself some deeper questions. Okay, what is the progressions to handstand? You heard me earlier say that down dog is a variation of handstand because it is an inversion. So then maybe asking yourself about all inversions And then asking yourself about balancing postures and then asking yourself about core strength, spinal strength. Those things lend themselves to the aesthetics of handstand. The more you focus on those functionalities, the more important you will see that handstand is, I guess, um, a peak, for lack of a better word, of those functionalities. And then you'll be more focused on the functionality of your shoulder placement, your hand placement, your dristi, your eye gaze, your bandhas. All of those things are going to get you into handstand before you just focus on kicking up to, to handstand, right? If you do it from a yogic perspective. How long can you stand yourself in a balancing posture while practicing intentional pratyama? Or do you need to hold your breath to hold the pose? That brings you into a functional place, right? More functional than aesthetics. Then asking yourself, does my body want this? Does my body want to do this posture? Do I feel dizzy when my head is below heart? Do I feel strong in the shoulders? Do I feel like my back, my spine is ready for this? What happens if I fall or I get injured? What does that do for my mindset? Some people, when they're injured, kind of go through a bit of a, a micro depression, right? Because coming back from injuries takes time and, and it it causes pain. And, you know, if anybody's ever gotten injured, something as simple as maybe just walking up or down stairs or using the restroom or taking a shower can be a little bit of an act um, of the divine. So that's when you start to lean into your why, 
Now, if you come back to, you know what? I just want to do handstand. That is something that means a whole lot to me. Then work on getting to know everything that will help your body get there safely and do not put a time limit on it. Allowing that goal to be as further into the future, as far into the future, I should say, as it needs to be. Then you are practicing from a place of functionality because you are intentional about doing what's best for your body first. And I promise you, when you take your life into your hands in that way, the journey becomes the purpose. The destination, whether you ever get there or not, will not be only thing you're proud of it's the showing up every day you know um as you might know I am a gymnastics or I was a former gymnast coach gymnastics coach and then turned gymnastics um yoga teacher or teaching yoga to gymnasts and when I was a gymnastics coach teaching my gymnasts to do kick-ups and then eventually handstands was very, um, very much what we call drills. It was about doing it every single day. And then, of course, doing several other movements of the body to prepare the body for those drills. So it was about building the core. It was about building muscle strength. It was about building stamina. And then, of course, you used, I used to tell my students who were ranging all the way up to um, seniors in high school, I used to tell them they have to practice their drills every single day, rain or shine, just take five, 10, 20, 30 minutes, depending on whatever the drill is and practice the drill. Sometimes you needed to practice four different drills together, sort of like a yoga sequence, except the whole purpose was to build muscle memory, right? That is very different than the purpose of yoga. So we want to be mindful that we're, we're practicing drills versus just practicing yoga. And remembering that the purpose of yoga is the meditative state of mind and making that mind-body-spirit connection. Doesn't mean that you cannot practice drills for handstand. Just maybe you separate that from your yoga practice. Maybe you don't. Maybe you do. All right. I think that's it for today's lesson. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here for lesson number three. I do not know how many lessons we have left. Um, I guess we'll find out. I was told four and then I was told eight. So we'll figure it out. Um, but I'll make sure that just in case next week is the last lesson of your body or yoga, I'll make it a good one. But I do appreciate being a part of this series. It was so, so, so much fun. And um, I look forward to seeing you all next week. So please do go in peace. Namaste. I am so honored that you are listening to the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast. Never miss an episode. Download the free app on iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. 
please also rate the show with five stars. I would greatly appreciate that. Visit me on my website at lovebreezybreeyoga.com. I include free yoga sequences every single month. You can leave a comment or message me and we can connect. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful personal practice. Namaste. Namaste.